welcome. As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father, um, the psalmist uh, has a great prayer. He simply says, teach me your statutes. And so that would be our heart's desire now that you would um, teach us uh, your way. And uh, we pray that we will be not only attentive to it in mind, but also in our hearts and not only to understand, but to cause this word to form in us uh, the very character of Christ. So we pray that you would be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Psalm 119. I want to read verses uh, 9 through 16. Psalm 119, please. Now remember, this is the second Sunday in Lent. We're taking this passage up during these Lenten Sundays, uh, various selections from Psalm 119, because uh, Jesus, uh, we learned from his time in the wilderness when he was tempted by this, by the evil one, that he was sustained, he was, life was guarded by the word of God. And so uh, as we consider uh, this time um, in the life of our Lord Jesus, we take up this psalm because it's a really a celebration um, to the word of God. You remember, too, it's an acrostic psalm, which means it's uh, arranged around the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. This is the second sun, uh, stanza so that every uh, verse in this um, section um, uh, begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is why the heading of Beit as... Um, You see these verses 9 through 16. This is the word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your words. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And then together we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This would have been on a billboard in ancient Israel. How can a young man keep his way pure? It would be advertised under the heading of the blessed life. If you want to live a blessed life, the blessed life, then it it must be a life, as we learned from the first stanzas, this first verse of this passage, that we need to walk in the law of the Lord. We need to, he says, blessed is the way whose, blessed are those whose way is blameless. In other words, there's, there's this way of blessedness, this, this, this way, oh, happiness is just too light an expression, I suppose. But there's just this sense of being blessed by God, this sense of living in his favor, this sense of being in covenant with God, this, this sense of being God's, belonging to him, um, this sense of well-being, this sense of being in under his blessing. You know that blessing, that benediction, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace to live in that. And that blessing to know that God's face is shining upon you. To know that his countenance is lifted upon you. 
to know that he's being gracious to you, that he's kind to you, and that he gives you peace, meaning that, that all is well. Uh, now circumstances may dictate, it may, may seem otherwise, and, and may uh, seem to dictate to you that, that you're not in peace, but you really, there really is, because God is with you. And he says, all right, in covenant with God then, you need to walk blamelessly. You need to walk this way of blamelessness. Not sinlessness, of course, but one who's in covenant with God. One, one who realizes the foundational questions of life are settled. That is, that I belong to God. That his ways are my ways. You live in this sort of covenant formula that we have through the prophets where God says, I'm your God, you're my people. You say, yes, that's true. That's my identity. That's who I am. That's where I live. That is my life. And I am blessed, forgiven, thus not sinless. But blessed, it's my heart's desire to really follow after God. Thus, this question in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, in order to live this life that's blessed, one must live a life that's pure. And so the psalmist asks this question, how can a young man keep his way pure? Now, men, young and old, and women too in ancient Israel would know a great deal about, about purity, about cleanliness. Uh, there was all kinds of, of laws that said that before God you needed to be clean, whether it dealt with your food, whether it dealt with your body, whether it de- dealt with um, even your clothing, you see, not clean, but how, how you were dressed. Uh, all kinds of ritual, ceremonial acts of purity. The priests who would represent you in going before God needed to be this cleanliness. And you could see it. Uh, there was a sacrifice made so sins could be forgiven. But not only that, they would bathe. And they would put on clean, white clothes to, to symbolize cleanliness or purity before God. But everybody knew that that outward purity, cleanliness, was to reflect really what was true on the inside. Thus there needed to be real cleansing on the inside, forgiveness of sin. And then a life that was lived in purity before God, you know, circumcision was a sign of cleanliness in the old covenant, if you will, before God. But, but they knew they needed to be circumcised of the heart. It needed to be something within. And uh, God says, what, what, what are the sacrifice I really, really accept is that of a broken and a contrite heart. As you come before me, as you lay yourself before me. That, that's, really, that's really the sense of it, you see. Um, Prophet Ezekiel uh, speaks of of the cleanliness that that is promised in the new covenant. I mentioned it before we had our time of, of confession this morning, but in Ezekiel, in chapter 36, uh, Ezekiel speaks of this, this cleanliness in verse 25. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. In other words, I'll wash you. That's what, that's what the, the psalmist, we prayed this earlier this morning in Psalm 51. Wash me and I will be clean. It's that forgiveness of sins. And so there's this great promise to the prophet Ezekiel, the forgiveness of sins will come. And we know it comes through ultimately Jesus. 
as he takes the punishment for our sin upon himself, right? So that we can be cleansed, and that's the promise here of the new covenant. But notice the promise goes on, verse 26, and the, the prophet writes, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so he says, listen, I forgive you, but I don't just simply leave you there forgiven and stuck. <laughs> You're forgiven, but I'm going to put my spirit in you. And I have a purpose for that because I want you to live this out. This purity, this cleansing, I want you to live it out. I want you to live this life, you see. In fact, Jesus speaks of the same thing in John in chapter 3 when he meets with Nicodemus. Uh, notice verse 1 of John 3. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Well, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, cleansing, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. You see, he's saying that which is Ezekiel said, there's this new covenant coming, and, and you'll be cleansed, and you'll receive a new heart, new inclination, a new whole new, new um, inclination of life, rather than being away from God, but towards God. And then, even in the spirit of what Ezekiel said, that you can walk, can walk in my ways, you see. Um, to live cleansed, to be cleansed. Uh, John chapter 15, uh, in verse 3, uh, Jesus is speaking of himself uh, as the true vine. And in verse 3, he says, you're already clean, because of the word that I've spoken to you, there's this cleanness, you see. In fact, the work of Christ is explained to us in Ephesians in chapter 5. Some months ago when we were working our way through Ephesians, you might remember there was this um, uh, passage dealing with marriage of husbands and wives. So, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, this is the work of Christ, to cleanse us. To cleanse us. And so there's this sense in which we are cleansed, we are pure, if you will, uh, before the Lord. I just want to linger there for a minute. Do you get that? Do you get in the midst of your life that the Lord has, has cleansed you? Remember when I was a kid, uh, my fifth grade Sunday school teacher, who was also my fifth grade elementary school teacher, he was also the fifth grade Sunday school teacher and elementary school teacher of all my sisters, and my dad, 
it wasn't that he was slow. He had had her some, you know, a generation before. But that's, that's who Mrs. Franz was. She had taught everybody everything in our little town. And she was the master of that highly technological uh, 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 teacher's aide called the flannel graph. Right? Dare I say, that's how we got in touch with our felt needs. But, you, you know, uh, you know that some of you at least... No, some of you've seen this in, in, in museums. That 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 uh, there's this this board that stuff sticks to. We thought Mrs. France was a magician. I mean, none of us really knew how this thing worked. But 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 she would get this big black heart, and when you'd walk in, there would be the big black heart on the flannel graph, and you go, oh, "That can't be good, right? That means our sin." And then she would take that off, and there would be this white heart, and you'd go, "It's Glenn." Well, that's the sense of it, you see. We need to grab a hold of that. This cleansed, cleansed. I had a friend, Karen and I did years ago, when we were living in South Carolina, named Ernie Stanton. I don't know if you remember him. Florence days. Anyway, he, it, Ernie had been one of these guys, in one of these remarkable testimonies, the kind of people paid to listen to, because you couldn't believe his life before he became a Christian. We had to always, you know, slow Ernie down and say, don't tell all the details. But it was one of those lives that, that w- when, he, when he became a Christian, when he came to faith, all of his friends were just, even his Christian friends, maybe even especially his Christian friends, were just flabbergasted that, wow, look at this, God could save this guy. And so one night Ernie had a dream, and, this is, and he said, he said, I had this dream where I was filled. Now, there used to be a product called scrubbing bubbles, like SOS pads, but they're scrubbing bubbles. He said, this dream that there were scrubbing bubbles all in my heart, and the Lord was cleansing me. And, and if you knew Ernie, you'd think, what a silly illustration for this big honking guy to talk about. But that's the sense of it, you see. We mustn't ever get past that, that we've been cleansed. Forgiven our sins. And, and that would have been before the psalmist, uh, his whole life, from a young man on up. And, and so when he's asking this question, how can a young man keep his way pure? He said, I've been purified. Now, if I'm going to be blessed I need, and live the blessed life, I need to, I need to live this out. I need to, I need to walk this out. Um, and, and this is true for us, you see. We need to live it out. We need to, we need to walk it out. For instance, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 7, the apostle writes this. He says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, how can we cleanse ourselves? We know we, we, we can't do that. That's a work of the Lord. But, 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 but what he's saying is, now let's live this out. Let's live out this life of purity, of holiness. See, what the psalmist is after when he says, how can, how can a young man keep his way pure? He's saying, how can I live? How can I live a holy life? First Thessalonians in chapter 4, similar, similar, similar word. He begins verse 1. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk or live and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what the instructions we gave you through our Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, meaning your holiness, your purity. 
that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one, transg- that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. And this is the verse I'm after. For God has not called us for impurity, but holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives uh, his Holy Spirit to you. You see, we're to walk uh, in this holiness. And then 1 John in chapter 3, very familiar passage to us, I trust. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John writes, He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we were. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Now, you see, that that should spark in a Christian great hope. That when the Lord comes and we see him, uh, we will uh, uh, be like him. We're not going to be divine, but be like him in the sense that we'll be holy. And then verse 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, if that's your really hope, if that's your hope really, get on with it now. Get on with it now. You've been given the Spirit of God. Get on with it now. Live out this life of holiness. And, and that's really what the psalmist is after. How can, I, can a young man keep his way uh, pure? Why a young man? I mean, well, why does he pick on young men? I mean, why does he say, how can a young man keep his way pure? Um, it's, it's likely that he's talking about himself when he was a young man. And that's why he says it that way. This psalm is quite personal. There's lots of personal pronouns. In fact, even in this passage where he starts, how can a young man keep his way pure? He then, beginning in verse 10, speaks about himself all the time. He doesn't speak as saying, well, this young man should do this or this young man should do that. Or He, he says, verse 10, he says, with my whole heart, I will seek you. Don't let me wander from your command. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, blessed are your statutes, O Lord. Teach me your statutes with my lips. I declare um, in the way of your testimony, I delight. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I won't forget your word. And so you get the sense that he's saying, I'm old now. But when I was young, here's what I did to keep my way pure. Not my way just when I was a young man, but my way throughout the course of my life. But it started then. Don't put it off. It started then. Now, I know we may think, and probably rightly so, the young men, young people, um, have some difficulties with holiness, as if the rest of us don't. 
But that there's something to be true about being young because what really needs to, to, to walk in holiness is a real sense of wisdom and discipline. And by definition, when we're young, those things are more lacking, we trust, than when we're older. We hope we develop those things. Wisdom comes from being taught. Wisdom comes from experience. Uh, wisdom comes from knowing life. And when we're young, it's just impossible to have those experiences and to know all that we need to know. But he says, don't, don't you know, make sure that you learn these things when you are young. And it could be, too, that when we're young, we have a tendency to be a bit puffed up because we have yet for life to puff us down. And we, um, someone I read recently says that very often we have a helium problem. Uh, we're too puffed up. Uh, and so we need a little poke in there to allow some of that to be Release life has a tendency to do that. And so when we're young, there's a great self-dependence. I can, I will, I know. And oftentimes we have a tendency to discount when we're young uh, the future and overvalue the present and look for present gratification of our future benefits and all that. We, We get that. But we mustn't forget the fact that he wants to to lay out as we go through this psalm Um, Various situations. How can a young man have a blessed life? How how can a discouraged person, that's what's coming up next, have a blessed life? How can a tempted person have a blessed life? How can a persecuted person have a blessed life? How can an afflicted person by by sickness and disease have a blessed life? You see, that's that's where he's heading. So he starts here. And he says, well, uh, what about a young person? Can a person who is young live and at least begin this process out in life of living in covenant with God and knowing the favor of God and knowing the blessing of God. That's what he's laying out for us here, uh, you see. And, and again, we can't underestimate the fact that, that in these early days of our lives when we're young, so much is, is being dealt with, our character is being developed, even when we're young. And, of course, we all have different definitions of young, right? My definition is way different than some of your definitions of what young is. So it's never too late to start thinking this through and applying what the psalmist writes for us here about about real life. And so he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? It's important, you see. Because you're developing, as a young person, when one author put it like this, he says, you're building the house you're going to live in when you're young. You're, you're laying the foundation for the house that you're going to live in. You're building this house that, that you're going to live in. Uh, the kind of husband you're going to be, the kind of wife you're going to be, is very often, if not established, highly influenced by what you learn about these things when you're young. The kind of citizen you're going to be, the kind of church person you're going to be kind of man or woman you're going to be as you walk with God. Established, you see, when we're young. Who was it? Uh, Emerson, how did he put it? If I can find it here in my jumbled notes. He says that uh, if we sow a thought, we reap an action. If we sow an act, we reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow a character, you reap a destiny. There's something really true about that. You see, there's this progression. And that's what happens uh, when, when we're young. And holiness doesn't get easier 
just because you get older. Circumstances change, situations change. And this psalmist is saying, listen, prepare for that now. Because chances are, when you're older, you're actually going to face greater difficulties than when you were young. Not the least of which is death. So be ready. Prepare when you're young. So, so how does he do that? He says, well, a young man can keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. Not his word, but your word. That is God's word. Over and over again, he says, you need a word from the outside, not a word from the inside. You need a word that comes from outside of you. Uh, because we, we realize that if a young man or anybody uh, thinks it through on their own without God's word, then who knows what they'll come up with. We can see in the course of our culture, without God, how we think about possessions, for instance. Jesus talked to this rich man in Luke chapter 12. We have it. Uh, the, the, the conclusion was that life consists in the abundance of our possessions. That's how we think, you see, unless we know God. And in that parable, Jesus was able to say, no, no, it doesn't. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possessions. Because the day will come when you die and your possessions will be of no help to you. And so don't think of that. Life consists of your relationship with God. Are you rich towards Him? Do you know Him? Are you in His favor? See your God. Are you His person? You see, that 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 that's really what life consists of. Or if we were thought about just the nature of of our character and humility, and yet we so much love the applause of others that humility is a difficult thing for us. Who, who would come to us and? Say, no, 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 no. It's the meek who inherit the earth. I don't think we'd come up with that one on our own. Somehow we would think very differently than that. Or I must do it. No, God says, I will be there. I will be your God. I will enable you. Trust me, not yourself in all of that. Obviously, the, the easiest one to think of, 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 of right now in the course of our culture is sexuality. If left to our, ourselves, to def, we say that we should define our own sexuality, each of us individually. And God says, no, I've, I've defined that for you. I've made male and female. This is how you're to live. Who among us would define sexual intimacy as confined to and blessed by only a relationship between a husband and wife in the context of this marriage relationship? Uh, I don't think we would come up with that. But that's, you know, that's the blessed life, you see. That's how we're to live this, to live this out so our way is kept pure by guarding it according to your word. We saw Jesus in the wilderness, that same thing. How was how Jesus' way kept pure when the evil one came against him with various temptations? It was kept pure by guarding it according to God's word. So then, verse 10, the, uh, the psalmist says, Thus then, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. That's, I love verses like this, don't you? Because it sort of has an echo of, of, of that man uh, who came to Jesus. Uh, and, and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. He says, he says, I'm going to seek you with my whole heart. So you would think someone 
who seeking God with their whole heart won't wander from his commandments. <laughs> but he gets it, you see. He understands his life. And so he says, to guard my way by your word, I need to seek you. But please help me. Because to keep my way pure, I have to live by your commandments. So keep me from wandering from your commandments. As I seek you, keep me from wandering. And so here's what the psalmist says. And you get this sense that he's looking back at his early life. And he said, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It isn't that he's not still doing it, but he's saying, I have stored it up. When I was a young man, this is how I kept my way pure. I stored up your word. Some of you have translations of that passage that I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Or I've treasured your word in my heart that I might sin against you. In a sense, they're all getting at the same thing. The same thing is we need to put God's word in our hearts. In those days, things that were highly treasured were hidden. Right. And so that's the sense of it. He's saying, I so treasure your word. This is my only way to live a life that's blessed, that, that, that I'm going to take this word and I'm going to store it up. I'm going to keep it and keep it and keep filling and keep filling and keep filling and keep filling my life with your word. Why? Because that's the way I must walk. That is the way I must live. Because you see, when the word of God comes to us, it doesn't like any other word. It's alive. It works. In us. You see, the the word of God is not so much about information as it is about formation, right? You know this passage in Hebrews and uh, chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword... Piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the the word of God is at work in us. So when we store it, when we take it in, again, it isn't just information. Oh, it makes us wise. In fact, the psalmist writes about the wisdom that we get over in verse 98. He said, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. And then verse 99, he said, I'm more understanding than all my teachers. Uh, verse 100, I understand more than the aged, for I, kept your pre- I keep your precepts. Verse 104, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. But you see what's going on here in the life of the psalmist. As he takes this word in, it isn't just that he has, 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 has just more information than everybody else. But it changes his life. He says, Though your, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. What happens when he gets this word in him is it works in him in such a way to reveal his heart so that he sees the true way and the false way. But then it works in him so that he actually hates the false way it works in him. One preacher put it like this. He said, in this great passage, we're reminded again and again that God's word is the means of sanctification. That is, making us holy. And by saying that 
by saying that, I'm not saying that God is not the engine of sanctification. I'm not saying that sanctification is not a work of God's grace. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is not the power of our sanctification. All those things are true. God's at work in our sanctification. Our sanctification is enabled by God's grace at work in us. It's the Holy Spirit who's working in us and dwelling to sanctify us. But the means he has chosen is to use his word. And I love this expression. That's why I copy this down. He said, the word is the fuel for the altar of devotion in our hearts that the Holy Spirit sets ablaze. Let me say that again. This is by a guy, a preacher, uh, First Presbyterian Church in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, now the Chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, Ligon Duncan. I'll have to send him a note. I told him I stole from him. The Lord is the fuel for the altar of devotion in our hearts that the Holy Spirit sets ablaze. The Spirit uses the word of the Spirit, the word inspired by the Spirit, as the fuel for our sanctification. You see, that's what the, that's what the psalmist is saying. Take this word in. Store it in you. The very first time you take it in, it may not mean much, but keep it there. Store it in your heart and it will enable you over time as you become an old man not to sin against the Lord. So verse 12, he says, blessed are you, Lord. He says, this is, this is more than I can even imagine. And so when he says, blessed are you, he says, praise be to you, Lord. So teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. Uh, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. See, so now as an old man, he's reflecting back. He said, when I was young, I stored all these things in my heart. And now what I'm telling you is that I realize that this word that's in my heart, this word of God that's in my heart is more valuable than anything I own. It's more valuable than all the riches I could ever imagine. And I have to tell you, we don't believe that. All the time. Right? I mean, I mean, we, we, it's just, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that this word of God that we have is more valuable than riches? You know? You think $5 million or the word of God? Which would you take on a bad day? Which would you take on a good day? I mean, I mean, think about that. I mean, that's what he's saying. He says, really, now we, we, we say that's true, right? Because we know we're supposed to. And, 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 and in a real way, we believe it. But, 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 but how does it really play out in the context of our lives? Are we storing up this word, you see? Are we taking this word in because we know how valuable, how valuable it is? One, one uh, preacher, John Piper, once said to his congregation, if I promised a thousand dollars for every verse you memorized, how many, how many verses would you memorize? Right? And you go, okay, I see your point. And then verse 15, he says, I'll meditate on your precepts. I'll fix my eyes on your ways. What he's saying is, I take this word in all the time. But then I go back to it. And I go back to it. And I go back to it. And I go back to it. The the word for meditation is a word that we get uh, from a word, rumination, that we use to describe cows chewing their cud. Sorry. But the sense is that when a cow first begins to eat, 
um, they're unable to get all of the nutrients they could possibly get first time through. So they ship it off and then they receive it back and they choose some more. He says, that's what you're to do, you see. When I was a young man, I took in this word of God and I took in this word of God and I took in this word of God. And then as I grew older, I brought it back and I brought it back and I brought it back. And now that I'm old, I continue to bring it back and to bring it back and to bring it back. And what I find is each time I bring it back, I see it more clearly. Not only that, each time I bring it back, I realize that I'm different than I was the time before. Now, now sometimes, of course, we use the word in a way that somebody has a problem. We say, here, take two verses and call me in the morning kind of thing. Uh, you know, just take these and, and we think, well, the, we, we got the right verses. So we're going to take these verses. We're going to memorize them. We're going to write them down on cards. We're going to put them up on our mirrors. We're going to keep them on our Bible. We're going to think about them all the time. And we think that by, so, therefore, by Tuesday, all should be well. That isn't the promise here. The promises take them in. The promises meditate upon them. The promises live them out. And what you'll see in the course of your time, and you'll look back and you'll realize that God has guarded your way and kept it pure. Because still, after five years, after 10 years, after 20 years, after 50 years, where you, will you be? The same place you were before saying, teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. Still, I still, I still, this is my life. This is all I've got. This is all I've got. To live this blessed life. There's a statement that we've made before, and it's not wrong, but it's not utterly right, so let me correct a bit of it. This statement that says, God's more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. Now, when we say that, what we mean is, if you're going through a tough time, God's really concerned about your holiness. So go through the tough time. But, but, but the truth of the matter is, God's concerned about our holiness because he is concerned about our happiness, our blessedness. He knows there's no real happiness, there's no real blessedness without holiness. That's why he's concerned, at least in part, about our holiness. It's the right way, of course. It glorifies him, right? But he loves us. And so he says, live this way. This is the blessed life. There is no other life other than living this out as the character of Christ. To be filled with love. To be filled with joy and gentleness and compassion and forgiveness of others. Self-control. All of these things, you say. And he says, no, that's, that's really the blessed life. So he says, I'll meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your rays. I'll delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. And many of these stanzas have these expressions at the very end. And it just, I was expecting something more positive. <laughs> I won't forget your word. And he says, well, you know, Jesus would come one day and tell us about this parable of the sower. And he says, there are times when the word goes, but you know what happens? Trouble comes and chokes it out. Or the deceitfulness of riches come and choke it out. Or the worries of the world come and choke it out. Don't forget 
at times like that. Pull those words up. When persecution comes, you know that he's sanctifying you. Persecution comes. He knows according to 1 Peter chapter 5. But there are others who've gone through this as well. But at the end of the day, you'll be blessed. You live on that. You live on that. And when the deceitfulness of riches come and either you don't have enough or you have so much that you're beginning to depend upon it, you realize, no, no, God says, I will supply all of your needs. I really will. I'll be with you and I'll help you. And remember, life doesn't consist in your possessions. Don't, don't, be, don't be tricked by them. And when the worries of the world come, you can remember, you can look outside soon, I hope, and see the lilies of the field. See the birds of the air. You go, oh yeah, right. He cares for me more than he cares for those. And there's that bird back in my yard again. Safe and sound. There's those flowers again. Beautiful as ever. Oh, okay. I got it. So we come to this table. What's the word for us here? Oh, you can think of many. But if you know me, you know what I'm going to say. The word that I think of every time I come to this table, I don't think that's an exaggeration, is that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I meditate on that as I see this table I have for, well, since I was a young man. The logic of it is impeccable. He's saying to me, Bill, I gave my son. Why do you think I would withhold any other good thing from you? So we come to this table to guard our way to hear this word on the night that Jesus was betrayed he was with his disciples and he took bread and again after giving thanks he he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup and again he gave thanks and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins do this in remembrance of me and as often as we drink of this cup the apostle says and eat of this bread we declare the Lord's death until he comes what are we declaring just that isn't it that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things so you see as we As we come to this table, we're hearing God declare his blessing upon us. That I will give you all good things. Everything you need, I will give you. Because I've already given you my son. Let's pray. Father. Pray you'd take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that we'd know we're in the very presence of our Lord Jesus. 
And that as we come to this table, we, we would receive your blessing. To know that in him we've been cleansed. To know that because of him that you will grant us every good thing. Because all of your promises are yes in him. And thus we can rely upon the fact, trust you, that everything you promised will be fulfilled. So we can live. We can live in the midst of being young. We can live in the midst of being old. We can live in between. We can live when life is difficult or when life is good. We can live when life is a bit confusing or perhaps even when we understand it. Because we know that you are with us. And we know that you're with us because you've given to us your son. So please, I pray, enable us to come to this table and to leave it blessed. This I pray in Jesus' name.